One of the things that we just often kind of roll off of our tongues as preachers is we greet in the name of Jesus. And I think that's a reminder of our responsibility. It's a sobering reminder to me that I'm standing here representing Christ. And I think that should cause the fear of God to go through any person, whether you're standing up here or sitting in the audience, that we are representing Christ here on this earth. He's absent in body. He's here in spirit. And I pray that that is where this message is coming from, is from the Spirit of God, because I can only faithfully represent Christ as His Spirit dwells within me. I'm thinking of Him being absent, and this morning's message is focusing on the return of Christ. We're thinking about Christ being absent, but He will one day bodily come again. This morning's message is not a hellfire and brimstone message on the return of Christ that is uh, intended to scare you. I think there's an, an appropriate time to think of Christ's return in ways that are very even frightening. But the focus of this message is to encourage us to anticipate Christ's return. This is probably, or it was born more out of looking at some of the things in my own life that are hindrances to me truly anticipating Christ's return. And so this message is more for the people of God than it is for the sinner who's not prepared. There will be texts that I'm reading that should warn the sinner, and if you're here this morning and not prepared for Christ to come, I would, I would encourage you at this time to pay heed when this is read in the scriptures, but the focus of the message is more to to looking at right thinking that causes us to be prepared and to remove some of those hindrances that would cause us to not anticipate Christ's return. Some time ago I had a lesson for the children at school about Christ's return, and I remember as a child looking at this subject with a lot of fear and dread. And I would encourage you as children, this is something that you need not fear. There are a lot of events around the coming of Christ that are are fearful to the human mind. Some of the expressions are things that we have never seen before. But when Christ was here on this earth, He loved children. And I believe that Christ, when He comes back, the innocency of childhood is not something that we need to dread this time. I think it's something that even a child can look forward to to seeing Christ, the, the children in Christ's day loved Him. And I believe that it should be something that, that's anticipated. Obviously, there's a time when, when youth are coming of age of accountability, that there's those times where these things are, are fearful, and I think some of those things cause us to make preparation. Brother Mark talked about being prepared, and uh, we want to be prepared for the return of Christ. I appreciated his thoughts. They resonated a lot with me that... He talked about uh, when we don't feel a certain way, then we need to, to start by, by taking actions. And also, I think we deal with wrong feelings about the return of Christ through proper thinking. And that's what I want to do this morning, is consider our thoughts and some of the things that would cause us to not have a right anticipation for Christ's return. I'll confess to you, uh, I've been preaching through the book of Matthew for a long time, and I've been dreading Matthew 24. Uh, There's just so much in there that is intimidating to me, 
And as I approached that, I thought about how Christ returned. We can look toward that event and, and wonder about the details of it. It seems like now that I got there, I really appreciate having been there. And so uh, I, I see a parallel to that in in Christ's return. Turn, turn to Matthew chapter 24. I want to consider a little bit in the introduction here about how we prepare for future events. Some of the things that are fresh on my mind is traveling. We, we put a lot of effort into thinking what we're going to do and what we're going to need as we travel. And we, we put a lot of effort into thinking. Uh, you sisters prepare meals, and it's just a wonderful thing if you have enough but not too much in the end. And so we try to prepare and make sure that, that we have enough and we, we dread uh, what if it runs out before everyone has even a second helping or worse yet a first helping uh, work projects we've been doing work projects and we want to have enough materials there so that so that it comes out right and we don't have a lot of extra to store uh, those are things that we sometimes stress out a lot about and I've found that at times it's when when things don't go quite as planned that deeper memories are made than if it just all flowed and, and, and went well there's one thing we cannot afford to mess up on, and that's the return of Christ. We have one chance. And when Christ comes again, we want to prepare. There's, there's no, uh, no second chances for that, and so it's a very serious matter. Let's read a text, fairly extensive text from chapter or 24 of Matthew, verse 29, and I'll read through 51. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over his goods. 
And if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Certainly those are sobering words, especially there in the conclusion of those who are not found ready and watching. And I see in here that when we fail to watch and wait, I think by default, we become people much like the people of Noah's day. And it speaks here of of the servant beginning to smite his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunken. Most of us wouldn't think of literally hitting one another and to going out and, and literally becoming drunk. But I believe those things have expressions in a spiritual sense before they happen in a literal sense. I think there becomes fighting within the church, within brethren. And they begin to resist one another. And This is more about me than doing the will of God. And we begin to live for pleasure. And I think wars and fightings begin on those levels as well as drunkenness begin and when we're living for the moment and living for pleasure. And I think those are direct results of not keeping in the forefront of our mind that Christ indeed is coming back. He's coming back and we want to be faithful representatives then so that we can also rule and reign with Him. There's a lot that goes along with that idea of ruling and reigning with Christ that is a great mystery in my mind. And yet, I believe that the work that God has us to do does not end when He comes again. I believe there will be much work for us as believers and as His children to be involved in. There are a lot of details surrounding the return of Christ, and I chose this passage because it's where I've been preaching from. But there are so many things that we can see as evidences that I think are reminders for us to think about as we see things that remind us of them. I'm going to be talking about Abraham, and God told him his descendants would be as the sand of the sea. When you see sand, when he saw sand, and I think he saw a lot of it, he likely thought of that promise. And I think if we see these things and know the details of what Christ has said would precede his return, we should have constant reminders. A lot of times we want to know what and why and and, in the order of events. And that was some of the things that Jesus was answering a list of questions that his disciples asked previous to this. He talked about the destruction of the temple and it was a threefold question. And they wanted to know details. And I think it's right that we want to know details, but we need to be careful that we do not let our desire to know more get in the way and hinder us from having a right a right uh, thought process towards Christ's return. I speak for myself. There's a lot of times that when Jesus speaks, it raises more questions than answers. And so uh, that's one of the things I want to caution us against, that we do not become unsettled in our minds about the things that we do not know, but to dwell often on the things that we do know. There's a human tendency that we have to become hung up on chronology. We want to know how things are ordered. One of the things I've noticed, especially in Old Testament prophecy, is God does not look at things chronologically like we do. God can talk about something that happened at the beginning of the creation. You see this in the book of Revelation. You see this in the Old Testament prophets. 
he begins to talk about something, all of a sudden he'll jump a thousand years and start talking about something else. And it, it goes back and forth like that. When Jesus was here, he spoke in parables for a purpose. And I believe that Jesus, uh, that God in his wisdom took those things about the future and he did not put them in a human, uh, a humanly understood box. We want to take the things that are not in chronological order, and, and, and I recently looked at a timeline that somebody put together about these things. We, we love chronology. We like to see that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. I've, under, uh, I, I've, I've looked at, and oftentimes you, a child will do that. They'll tell a story, and then they'll jump here and there, and we're, what, are, what are you talking? That's not the kind of of limitation that God has. He does that in wisdom. But I thought about how children oftentimes want to know the order of events of the family. They'll come and say, Dad, what are we going to be doing tonight? It's not always the case, but I think a lot of times our children reveal us to ourselves. A lot of times the reason they want to know the order of events and what those events are is because they want to try to change those events to their advantage. And I think in examining my own heart, wanting to know all the why, it's in order to set myself up to where they can come at a, at a time I can prepare for and that I can, I can somehow manipulate them to my advantage. Some people do wild things. They'll move to Israel. They'll move down to Chile or whatever it is to try to escape persecution. And that is a wrong response to the return of Christ and the events surrounding it, that we can somehow think we can avoid suffering. Many people have suffered tremendously as a result of trying to look at the future and predict it and then try to manipulate it to their advantage. As I reflected, I believe the fact that Christ left his return a mystery as far as as when it will be, and the imminent return of Christ being something that the church has believed in all the way from the beginning. The Apostle Paul believed in the imminent return of Christ. I believe that is one of the greatest gifts that Christ could give to His church, is the fact that we do not know when He's coming. I believe he realized that we were human beings. And, and one, of the, one of the expressions that often happens is if we know an event is coming, we put it off to the last minute to prepare for it. Some people are more preparers than others. But I think that's, that's how it would be. That if we believe that, the early church believed that it wouldn't be till sometime in the, after the year 2000 until Christ would come, it would have affected the way they chose to live. And so I would like to see the mystery of prophecy, especially surrounding the return of Christ, as actually being God's love expressed to us. And I think that gives us a lot of peace, that we do not need to, to somehow feel like we can unravel what God has veiled. And so the mysteries surrounding Christ's return need not leave me ill-prepared or less prepared. I think... And, and, and you, you do thinking about it as well, but I think it can even leave us more ready or more prepared. One of the things I want to focus on this message is to see how being prepared is an exercise of faith. Whenever we have an overabundance of knowledge, I think the tendency is to lean on our own understanding. That's a, that's a very well-known verse in Proverbs where it says 
to not lean on our own understanding. I think the more knowledge we have, the more we're going to lean on that rather than a walk of faith. And I would like to say that if we are prepared for Christ when He comes, it wasn't because we somehow in our human capacity prepared for it. It's because Christ enabled us to be prepared. Jesus gave an invitation and He said, Come unto Me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me. I believe it's the people who are yoked together with Christ who are working alongside of Him in his, in his work, he's not here, as I said before, in, in person, but spiritually. And as we pull with that yoke and we see the work of God being done in our lives and we recognize this is not my own power, but it's Christ, I believe that presence will be so real that when he comes in person, it is going to be a very natural chain of events. And so the best way to be prepared is to walk by faith doing very ordinary work that God has called you to do in this life. In relation to the things that Christ has said, and I'm, I'm so blessed when I hear the disciples ask Jesus to explain something. That's what He's doing here. The disciples came and they asked the questions that I think we would often ask in our own minds, and sometimes we wish He would... He would keep talking. And yet I don't believe, as I said before, more knowledge is going to enable me to be prepared. We sang a song last Sunday, and there was a phrase in there that often jumps out to me. It says, What more can he say than to you he hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge hath fled? I like to apply that to what Jesus said in, in preparing us for his return. I think God in his wisdom gave as much as we need to know, but not so much that it can become a hindrance. And so I think we can rest in the sufficiency of the Scripture. We don't need to do as some where we're out looking for more books of the Bible or we're looking for the hidden things that haven't been revealed yet. I think we need to look at prophecy from the perspective of worship rather than a detective going in there and trying to unravel something that that God has somehow kept as a mystery. We need to worship when God's Word doesn't make sense. There's a phrase in here, and I don't have it in my note, or a verse, it's not in my notes here. But this has been a major hang-up to some people. Jesus says here, um, verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. I'm not here to expound on that verse, but there's been times that that has just about driven me crazy. And I'm not the only one. There has been a lot of people who have come to that verse and they have spiritualized the fact that Christ came at this certain time and this kingdom began and He's already come back. And that's a dangerous way to look at the Scripture that we somehow, because it isn't making logical sense to me, I am going to somehow spiritualize or change or whatever it might be so that my mind can rest. I would like to propose to you this morning that when we do things like that with the Scriptures, the object of our faith goes from what God has said to what we have conjured up through our intellect. And I believe that if we have found peace about Christ's return, if prepared as a result of supposing 
or somehow through logic figured out and, 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 and made to where it's no longer mysterious the return of Christ, we actually have, have hindered our ability to be prepared. We need to focus on the things that we do know and not become derailed by the things that we do not know. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In preparation for this, I was thinking of a, a number of verses, and I, I love to do this with the Bible, where you take passage of Scripture and you see parallels in other passages of Scripture, and the, the, the Word of God becomes alive as you, you look at these things. But I want to look at the concept of how faith is essential to being ready. Verse 36 of Hebrews chapter 10, For we ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Generally, when we think of a promise, it's something good, especially when God promises something to His children. It's something that we should long for. Oftentimes, I think we look at the return of Christ as being a threat more than a promise. And I would like to encourage us that, that when God gave a promise to Abraham, it was something that was very good. And so when Christ re- promises to His children that He's going to come again, that should be something that we know has a lot of good in store, even though we don't know what all it is. Verse 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. The verse that led me to this passage was this next verse, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But I found it interesting that this verse preceding it is talking about the return of Christ. It's important that the that that if we would be that faithful servant, back in Matthew it said, Who then is is a faithful and a wise servant? Whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. The title in this passage is the just. The just are those who are faithfully doing the will of God. The just shall live by faith. Then it gives another group of people. It says, but if any draw back. To draw back has the idea, and there's two different words, and in in the next verse it says, but we are not of those who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Those are two just minorly different words, but the second one talks about apost. It has the idea of apostasy. Brother Dave Berkey was with us, and he talked about apostasy. In its simple expression, apostasy just simply means we, we cease to follow. It's like a sheep that, that is once following the shepherd, but they, they, they're no longer interested. They, they cease to follow. And so those who draw back, they, they apostatize or they cease to follow as they once had. And so I believe that one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we draw back is we take the mystery of something that God has placed a veil over and begin to walk by supposition rather than by faith. As I told you before at the beginning of this, that I was intimidated by this passage. And yet I believe even a child can walk by faith. And if we take passages like this, rather than avoid them, I think that's one of the ways that we draw back is when we take difficult or passage of Scripture that that cause us to fear. It's the beginning of apostasy. 
And obviously it's not in its ranked form, but when we, when we take the Word of God and make it to our liking or to our thought pattern, uh, we'll find ourselves changing the Word of God, which is a, a tremendously dangerous thing to do. I said I was going to talk about Abraham, and one of the things that he did as he took that promise that God had given to him that he would have descendants as the sand of the sea... And then he began to speculate, and it was as that speculation brought fruit that he had an Ishmael. Ishmael was the result of him not believing that God was going to literally bring what he said was going to come to pass to pass. And I'm afraid that there is a lot of people who consider themselves to be prophecy experts that have also produced an Ishmael. And you want to talk about something that's very dear and precious Abraham did not want to let go of that Ishmael. It was dear to his heart. And I believe the same thing is true when we take something of the Word of God and through supposition come to be at peace that that God's will, I mean God's Word is somehow being fulfilled. It will be something that will be so near and dear to our hearts that I think will cause men to even do as this servant in Matthew 24 where they begin to smite one another. And I think we need to be careful. Anytime we begin to fight over things that, that we're not certain of, our focus has come from Christ to something else. And I believe that it, it's, a, it's a turn from faith. And so when we avoid a subject, whether it's because of controversy or fear of what it might mean for us, I believe we're at the very least, anyway, moving toward this group of people of those who draw back. There's so many, I've heard of entire church uh, fellowships that simply will not talk about prophecy or the return of Christ because in the past it's bred controversy. That's dangerous. And I think if we do that, we're not going to have that conscious mindset that Christ is indeed coming. And to keep that fresh on our minds. Jesus gave three examples, and you can turn back to Matthew 24 if you care to. This is but an overview. There are so many rich treasures in specific verses here, but I'm looking broadly at this subject, but he gave or I mean this passage in Matthew 24. But he gave three comparisons here that are lessons that talk about, generally, about his, his return. First of all, we have the parable of the fig tree. And next he gives the illustration of Noah and the flood. And then the third one is comparing his return to being as a thief in the night. I don't know about you, but I don't like to think a lot about that, that while I'm sleeping, that something is going on in my house. And I can all of a sudden be surprised. Uh, we don't want Christ's return to be like that. And, and the scriptures say that we don't need to be as one that, that he's coming as a thief in the night. But we're prepared. It's right for us to sleep physically, but not, not spiritually. We're always to be awake. Those that are of the day, the scripture talks about. And so as I look at these illustrations that Jesus gave, the fig tree, the flood... And the thief in the night. The first one depicts Christ's coming that would be something that is more over a period of time. 
We think of a long time from a human standpoint or even a prolonged time. Uh, Jesus used a number of examples, and, and there's, there's a couple of parables in Matthew 25, but look at verse 5 of 25. It said, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. In verse 19, it said, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. I think we need to have a concept that allows the Lord as much time as He wants, allows Him to tarry, and we not lose faith in that waiting. We need to keep a sharp understanding that before this service closes, Christ may choose to come back, and yet also have the understanding that it could be another thousand or more years. To me, that's difficult to have those two focuses. And yet, if we are going to be people of faith, I believe both of those focuses need to be very sharp in our minds. And so from a a human standpoint, it's been a long time and it could be a lot more time. Second Peter, it talks about the fact that, that God doesn't think about time. And I talked about chronology. God doesn't think chronologically, and yet He's very orderly in what He does. And I believe that the angels are looking at that orderliness in awe and wonder. And I think we do well to try to lay aside some of those human tendencies, and especially chronology, to where we can worship God because of how He thinks. And I think in that act of worship, we actually begin to think more like He thinks. And I think some of these things that are a mystery become more real and special to us. Fig trees don't generally develop, or they don't. They don't develop uh, fruit in the twinkling of an eye. It's something that you can see over a period of time that yes, it is in fact coming. And I think that has been the expression from the early church until now. Jesus talked, or I think it's the Apostle Paul, talked about the time of the Gentiles. It's what we know as the church today. That over that period of time, I think it has been much like this, to where we see the, the expression of something much like a season, that we can see those evidences. As you know winter really well around here, and as you see things begin to sprout up, uh, whether it's through the snow, you, you know evidence is there is a change in season coming. And I think that's the way we view the, the return of Christ. There, there's wars, there's rumors of wars. There's things that we see, whether it be a falling star, whether it be an eclipse. I believe that when Christ comes, it's not just going to be, the, when it talks about the, the sun not shining, that's going to be more than an eclipse. But I think each of those things should be daily or constant reminders that, that as I spoke of, that Abraham saw those evidences that God, His promise would be as this, or the, the stars of the heavens. When we go out and we see those wars, it shouldn't cause us so much to frighten, be frightened as to, yes, the Lord said these things would take place. And He's going to come and He's going to be bringing deliverance from those. I thought about those two perspectives of the imminent return of Christ as well as something that's ongoing or even prolonged. That view must also be maintained in our mortality. Oftentimes we think of of death. uh, I'm not sure what all you have gone through in the recent past, but when you have especially a young person that just instantly snatched into eternity, 
And yet there are others who, who are older and you can see the seasons of life approaching. This is something that we can see in my, my dad at home. That you see incrementally those things, his body is just slowly becoming weaker and weaker. And I think faith will view the end of life much like the return of Christ. That those who have peace that, that, that death could come just that quick in an accident... Or it's something that, as Ecclesiastes talks about, about the body just slowly falling apart. And our ears, they cease to hear, the grinding becomes low. All those things. People who can have peace as they see the seasons of life unfolding and what causes some people to fear, greatly fear as they see the clutches of death coming to claim them. I believe people who can have a proper perspective of the end of life, will also have the capacity in faith to have a proper perspective and an anticipation of Christ's return. No, in our physical bodies we do not long for death per se. I, 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 say, I say that carefully. I think many people, as the body suffers, and as there's that labor and travail to, to, to remain alive, yes, we do anticipate death. And yet I believe it requires faith. We need to have both of those perspectives as something that are, that are actively a part of our thinking. Time runs in Minnesota just like it does in Wickenburg. It runs away. I would like to consider at the conclusion here of the message, look, look with me in Hebrews chapter 11. It's thinking of how are we prepared and how do we have faith in relation to preparedness for Christ's return? I want to look at the two examples of two individuals who received a promise from God, and they prepared themselves in order that they could receive that promise. Hebrews 11, verse 7, and we talked about Noah in Matthew chapter 24. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was preparing for something that he didn't even know existed hardly. I understand that rain was not something that they knew a lot about. And I believe there's a similarity to that, that as Jesus talks about these events unfolding around his return, we haven't seen those things take place, and yet the reality of those things are very real. They must be riveted in our mind, in our actions, in our the things that we do must be revolving around things that we have never experienced or seen before. And yet it was very obvious that Noah believed that there would be a flood, because he spent a uh, hundred years building an ark for that. So I believe we need to prepare throughout all our days. Much as Noah built an ark, we are building on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're laboring in that yoke, walking by faith. And I think every activity that we do, even the jobs, even the monotonous jobs that we're involved in, must be an expression of, of our service to Christ. It comes to mind now, and it's somewhere down in my notes, but in, in Matthew 24, it talked about the fact that it, at the time of the flood, they were marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking. Those are things that we as Christians do. And yet I believe at that time and even today, there are people that make those things an end in themselves. 
the goal is to have a house. We have a young man that just got married and we're working together building a house. If Christ came in the middle of that building, I believe it would be a good thing to be doing. Because he's doing that not so much as an end, or, but as a means to reach that end. There are so many people that think that just because there's, there's a lack of time, well then, therefore, you know, I don't have to build this cabinet very good because it's going to get burned up someday. That's not an expression of faith, that's an expression of supposition. An imagination of something that, that is not reality. Verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. There were a lot of unknowns. When we think about all the unknowns of prophecy, can you imagine uh, just just launching out and you don't really know what God's going to give you, you just believe that it's going to be good. And he took an action based on a lot of unknowns. And he was at peace, as far as we know, for the most part about it. I don't know whether he struggled with some of those things. We have a, a dramatized version of, of the story of Noah that we listened to recently. We has the conversations of Noah and his wife. And, are, are we doing the right thing? I think sometimes it's all right to consider that that might be happening, but sometimes I think we, we put it in the Scriptures. But yes, we do battle with, and, and I'll confess to you, I sometimes feel more prepared for Christ than others, and yet it isn't based on our feelings. It's based on our faith. And we must, that those feelings must cause us to come back and, and to draw near to our Lord. And I think Abraham faced those times. He faced failures. Faith does not mean we walk without failure. It means that when we fail, we get up and we begin, we get back on the right track. When we find ourselves acting out of fear because of Christ's return, we get up and we come back to the Word of God and then we, in our, our, our understanding, our faith brings our feelings back into line. Abraham was a man who sojourned. He was a man without a permanent address. And I don't believe it's wrong to have an address with a mailbox, but we must live as pilgrims and strangers. And I think the more permanent we get in our dwelling, the less likely we are to, to be thinking about Christ's return and to thinking about the fact that this is a means to the end rather than the end in itself. Sojourning sometimes looks like aimless wandering, And if you look at the sojourning of, of the children of Israel in the wilderness, that they were going in circles. And there were times when the patriarchs came back to the altars that they had, had built before. Sojourning is not aimless wandering. It's going where God has led you. And I think sometimes we go in circles because of our disobedience and our unbelief. But other times it's simply God has a reason for it and we'll never know. And so that's something that we need to be reminded of, that the, there are things that seem very cyclical, run in cycles in our lives, that, that we should not see that as, as a waste of time. But as we're walking with the Lord, He and His wisdom will lead us uh, where He wants us to be at the time. I see also in both of these, Noah and the patriarchs, that faith is something that's perpetuated to those close to us and even beyond that. Noah was an example of his family. It was basically the only product of his evangelism. Now, he was a powerful preacher, and yet the only people that went into the ark with him was his family. And I believe faith 
and especially in relation to having a right perspective toward Christ's return is something that will be caught by those around us. We don't even have to necessarily talk constantly about Christ's return, but when we live as pilgrims and strangers, I think that stands out to our our wives and to our children. And when we're at peace about that, I think it can give peace to them. And it also stands out to a world that's living for the moment when we walk by faith in anticipation that Christ is indeed going to fulfill His promise and come again. I mentioned before that the unknown should not keep us from doing what is right. And I talked about uh, eating and drinking and uh, marrying and giving in marriage. I don't know if it's something that's happened locally, but there's people that have predicted the, the, the return of Christ and people won't even can or, or plant their garden. Another thing that I hear about is people who are, are afraid to have children simply because all the suffering in the world. And I heard, I've heard this from older people, from my grandparents, who we bring, we bring the new baby and they, they shake their head and oh, the world that these people will need to live in. I think we need to be careful how we voice those kind of concerns. Take those concerns to the Lord. That when we take an action based upon a supposition, we're going to find ourselves in a place where we do not want to be. Those of you who are young, those of you who are newly married, it is right to bear children. And I talked about a time, uh, Jesus talked about a time of the, the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, woe unto be the, those that are with child. That was a time of great suffering at the destruction of Jerusalem. For the Jew, it was, it was a horrible time. And yet I think that to, to be occupied in re- bringing up a family, that's something I'd love to be caught doing when Christ comes again. And so don't put those things off. Those are right things to, to be doing. Responses of that nature perpetuate fear rather than faith. And so I encourage you to do right even though it seems like the world is falling apart around you. Because of a lack of time, I'm going to skip down to verse 13. If you want to read those as very insight, no, I'm going to read them. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one in him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith not having received the promise. Christ promised he would come again and there's a very good likelihood that we are going to die but are we going to die in faith are we going to up until our last day anticipate that that promise could happen very very near that was a challenging thought to me and it goes on to say but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers in the earth. To me, those are powerfully encouraging words. That though Christ has not come for 2,000 years, the reality is He will come. 
And one precious thought to me as a believer, even death cannot change the fact that Christ will personally come and I will experience it. I talked about our humanity. Because we are mortals, because we see death occurring around us, we somehow understanding stops right there outside of what the Scriptures reveal and then what some others have revealed that are extra biblical and I'll warn us, be careful about the afterlife that is taught to you by something other than the Word of God. It will harm your faith. And so even though death occurred for these saints, by faith they were able to experience them and also, the fact that they died, they were going to experience those things and, and to see the evidence of those things as well. To the unbeliever, that's a very scary thing. There are people who will cremate bodies in order that they, do not, that they think they can avoid the resurrection. And yet the fact is true, that which encourages the believer can also strike fear in the heart of the unbeliever. Every eye shall see him even those who are dead and gone. And I ask you, does that give you hope this morning? If it doesn't, I would encourage you, there is preparations to be made. Preparations to build on Jesus Christ. Preparations to walk by faith and not by sight. I pray this has been an encouragement to you that you have a fresh uh, longing for Christ's return. This is something that we need not dread. It's something that we should see as a promise. And may we be encouraged to, to continue to keep that focus. That it could be a long time or it could be this very afternoon. And may our lives and choices reflect that understanding.